Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today, we have Nancy, and with some straight talk and humor, she's going to help some women entrepreneurs release some subconscious blocks. A lot of times, women are being held back from making money, being more visible, and making a bigger impact. Nancy is Harvard Law trained. She was an attorney for nine years, a therapist for 17, and she's been doing EFT tapping for 15 years. Nancy, welcome. Before we dive in, couple things. I have something I can give to your listeners if you want me to. That'd be amazing. Of course. This is the quiz that comes along with free tap along videos for common blocks. So it's kind of cool. I have been having so much fun doing hot seats for your people. So it's been great. Can you reflect on kind of the differences in who you've talked to and what's happened so far? Oh, sure. I would say that two of them so far have been about what's right on the surface, what's in their face bothering them. And another one, we started there, but it very quickly became clear that there was something that was driving it underneath. And so we went and found that and released it, which is what I usually do with my clients. Like that's the difference between aspirin tapping and surgery tapping. Surgery tapping is looking for the cause and removing it. Aspirin is like, this hurts. Can we just release this so we feel better now? And then, and then once you've done that, then you can think and move on to other things. So I do both with clients, but the, the surgery tapping is, I think where I earn my nickel. <laughs> so they're both really valuable. So you'll, you'll probably see that when you go through them. How did you get into tapping? Short story. Let me tell it to you really short. After a career as a lawyer, I like done with that, went back to school, became a therapist. I'm, I'm sitting in a training, two-day training for working with survivors of childhood sexual abuse in 2006. And the person teaching it, who is like world-renowned, halfway through the second day, puts up a slide with a link for tapping. And I've never heard of it before. But if this guy says, this is something you should have in your tool belt if you work with these clients, then I'm going to look at it. So he had us do a little bit of tapping, a, a single round then. And I went home that night went to the, there was like a 40 page PDF was what he sent us to read it said, okay, well, I guess I'll try it. The next day I went into the therapy office. The first client, I said, I got this thing. You want to try it? And he said, sure. So I had him pick a memory, like pick a memory. Okay. He picked something from when he was 12 years old. I said, okay, sitting here in my office right now on a scale of zero to 10, how do you feel when you think about that memory? He said, I'm anxious at an eight. And he's like gripping, gripping the arms, the armchair. And he's, he really looks pretty stressed out. And I'm a little worried, like, is this a good thing? But we go ahead, we do a single round. I knew very little about tapping then. So I just did very basic tapping with him. Get to the end of that. And I say, okay, same memory, same zero to 10 scale. How anxious are you now? And I expect he's going to look at me and say, yeah, I'm still an eight, Nancy. Can we do some real therapy now? But instead he says, hmm, it's just a memory. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, what? And I had that experience again and again that day. So I went and I, I spent some time learning the tapping. In fact, I ultimately dove in totally, but that was my initial introduction to it. And it was eye-opening. Have you had anyone who it doesn't work for? I would say that very day I had somebody who we did tapping on and she, she had her scale and, and it went down and she said, yeah, it works, but I want to do the other therapy. I want to do, it was cognitive behavioral stuff that I was dabbling in with her at the time. And as for her, I think it was more about wanting to understand things. Most people though, it's like, that's a relief. That's wonderful. There are things I won't use it on. And then there's times where there's more to be worked on than I can get at. And the person is like, this is too much. I don't want to do it. That was for my therapy days. In my coaching practice, no, nah, it just works. It's just fantastic. But what I had found with so many people, particularly with something like PTSD or any, really any anxiety disorder, they so quickly went from the trigger to the response, to the, the stress, the anxiety, that there really wasn't time to be thinking about it. And then they had to backtrack but they already had the feeling. Whereas with the tapping, we could sort of sneak up on it on whatever it was and release the trigger. And then it was gone. I mean, they didn't have to keep thinking the right way to feel better. If there was anything that would have kept me doing therapy, it was tapping because I didn't find anything else that works for post-traumatic stress disorder. Everything else was more like help people manage their symptoms. That's not what I got into therapy for. It also worked phenomenally with things like phobias. Uh, I used it with generalized anxiety disorder, which I had been taught, you know, you, you can't get rid of that. You just help people manage it. And I got rid of it with tapping. I mean, it was like, you can do this, but I had to sort of sneak it in and I couldn't always use it because some people didn't want to use it in the therapy room. So plus I really got into the change world to help people change their lives. I didn't want people to just feel better with what they had. I wanted them to really change it up and become who they're there to be here on this planet to be doing what they're meant to do. Okay. I, I just stepped on a soapbox there, but that it really, I was too limited by the insurance companies in the therapy world, but in the coaching world, I could say, here's what I'm doing. And those people who want it raise their hands and away we go. Yeah. Actually what you just mentioned about the insurance companies is so disturbing. Well, yes and no, they're trying to protect people but you way. have to diagnose as something in order to be covered. Yeah, I hated that part too. Truth is it's getting a bit better now. As far as getting tapping into the therapy room, it's getting a little bit better. I think the insurance companies are still tightening the screws as much as they can. But there are two entities I know approved using EFT, which is the formal term for tapping, using that for post-traumatic stress disorder. So that gave it a bit of an stamp of approval. Now, when I was doing it, I didn't have that. So I had to sort of bring it in on the side. This is a relaxation technique to help. That was allowed, but it was, I had to contort myself too much to be able to help people. So that's why I made change there. Also, have you yourself suffered from any of these things that you help others with? When I was a lawyer, <laughs> nine years as a lawyer, I was clinically depressed. And I know that because I then went back to school and learned how to diagnose. So yes, I had that, but I never used the tapping for that. But I did use tapping on myself for all sorts of subconscious blocks, which is what I primarily work on with my clients these days. The, the blocks that get in the way of having the life they want and, and having the business they want and growing that to its potential. What led you to being a lawyer? 
I was an English major in college and I got to my, oh, what was it, senior year? And I thought, what am I going to do with a bachelor's in English? So I went to the career office and I took this little test, this interest test. I took this test and what came back was I had top three top things. The first one was be a librarian, which I knew I didn't want to be. So I was like, I, that should have tipped me off to, to this is not a good test for me. But anyway, the other two were one was being an advertising executive. I knew nothing about that. And the other was being a lawyer, which I thought I knew something about. So I said, okay, okay. I applied to, I got into Harvard Law School. You got to go to Harvard Law School if you get in. So I did. And then with this degree in hand, I had to go practice because that's what you do. So nine years was many too many, but I don't really regret becoming a lawyer and doing that for a while. It gave me a lot of confidence. I don't get intimidated by people quite so much. (laughs) Harvard Law is no joke. I mean... That must have been quite an experience. It was. And I will tell you two things about that. One is I spent most of my time in the Harvard drama, Harvard Law School Drama Society putting on shows, which should have told me that I probably should be doing something else. But, you know, it took me a while to figure this stuff out. The other thing is that I'm convinced, and I'm having talked to all these people in my first year, that, yeah, I don't know, I made this number up, but like 80, 90% of us had imposter syndrome. We were convinced that we got in by accident and they were going to catch on to us. And someday someone was going to come in and haul us out of class and say, you're not, you don't belong here. With that in my back pocket, I have this feeling that a lot of people don't really feel comfortable doing what they're doing as an expert until they do. A lot of women have imposter syndrome, even when they are, they're doing great. When did that show up for you? Uh, Well, the first year of law school, for sure. I was like, what am I doing here? I don't know anything. (laughs) But, you know, I got grades that were good enough to stay. So I figured, oh, well, I guess it's okay. And then another time was just like a a couple, was it a year ago? There was a Harvard alumni entrepreneurs group. And I saw they were having an open house. I thought, well, I guess I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an alum. I guess I can go. And I went to this thing and it was all virtual. And, and I arrived and I started talking to people and they all had startups that were meant to have this, the next great app that was going to make millions of dollars. They were going to be the unicorn companies. And I'm doing this totally different thing. And I felt like, Ooh, I don't belong here. This, I'm not really this caliber. And I went out and then they had it again the next day. And I said, wait a minute, this is imposter syndrome. I'm going back. <laughs> so I pushed myself. I went back in and then it was like, yeah, there's some other people doing different things. It's not all coders and, and creating startups like that. But you know, this really isn't the right place for me. So it was, it was nice to have the two different experiences back to back. Men and women both feel this, but I think women feel it more because of our training. You know, For one thing, it seems like we are raised up to feel we have to be perfect. We have to do everything perfectly. If it's not perfect, it doesn't count. And I don't think that's the same message that most men get growing up. And then there's the whole, you know, that they've done studies on this where teachers will look out over the class and skip the girls with their hands raised and call on boys till the girls start thinking, well, maybe I'm invisible. Maybe, maybe, maybe she knows something. I'm not good enough. Uh, something. Uh, I hope that's changing. I really hope I've got a daughter in school and I don't want that happening for her. What was your upbringing like in Fargo? And were you rewarded for being a perfectionist? You know, I had an extremely wonderful upbringing. I work with a lot of people who really had some serious struggles. And I had, I had parents, both of whom adored me and I knew it. 
And they would tell me things like, you can do anything. You can be anybody. And I believed it. And even with that, they gave me some subconscious success blocks, the, the stuff I've had to tap on to release. There was a lot of lack-mindedness. The topics of money and what we can buy were always like, ooh, well, we, you know, we got to be, be careful with that. We can't afford this, that, the other thing. And so I internalized all that. Oh, people in my family don't have much money. And then you, you make that happen. So there was that. But perfectionism, I, don't, I did well at school. So I, academically, I did very well. And I was lucky that way too. Perfectionism for me probably would have been more along the lines of performance. I had some, some blocks around sort of being in the center state, on center stage. And I've, I worked on those too. But I know how lucky I am. And I can point to these blocks that came. So anyone who comes to me, it doesn't have to be, be big trauma to have the blocks that hold you back. And I know that. But I'm also not intimidated by the big trauma too, because I've worked with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in some of that trauma work that you've done. Actually, that story that you mentioned about children with sexual abuse, I can imagine that would be traumatic for you as oh, well. Yeah. yeah. As a therapist, there's something called secondhand trauma, or it's called various things, but hearing the stories can be traumatizing. One great thing about tapping, once I, I had learned it and brought it into the therapy room with me, is that I'm tapping along with my clients. They're telling the story. In, in different gentle ways that I know to do with them. And so I'm kind of giving myself the, the treatment while, while they're getting the treatment. So it doesn't stick as much with me. Before I knew about tapping, I'd hear this trauma stuff and it would, yeah, I, I went, uh, let's put it this way. I went on maternity leave for three and a half years, partly because I didn't, I didn't have anything that worked with PTSD, partly because that was traumatic stuff to listen to. Wow. What did you do in that three and a half years? <laughs> well, I had my daughter. I stayed home with her. I tried to do the mom thing. I'm a mom. I'm a good mom. I am not a great stay-at-home mom. You know, it's like climbing the walls by the end there. Give me something to do. I can relate and, to And that. I think my daughter was ready too. We took her to preschool. We were in the hallway looking into the room and she just let her coat drop and went straight in for the oobleck they were working with. <laughs> like, she was like, have a good one. Bye, mom. I'm out of here. <laughs> so, okay. So we were both ready to move up in the world. Oh, that's great. And what was it like getting back into the work world after taking that kind of break? Well, I certainly appreciated it in a different way, but I also came back. Well, I, I had the tapping, which helped, but I also felt like, you know, there's something more here. And if I stay here, it's, I'm not going to find it. Now it took me a while to be able to grow my own business, my coaching practice with the tapping to the point where I could replace my therapy practice and, and close that. And most of that time I had to spend tapping on my own stuff and figuring out how to get rid of it. Cause there was no one out there doing tapping the way I was doing it. And I had somebody I, we exchanged tapping with and we were trying stuff out. And that's really how I developed the, the way that I do it. I also got into a program that taught you how to do marketing, which, you know, I figured I'd just pick it up. No, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta learn the basics. You gotta learn how to do the business. And I also needed to work on my mindset. If I hadn't done both of those things, I'd still be doing therapy. Interesting. So how long did you have your own practice? Well, I started the therapy work at, in the therapy office in, I uh, got my degree in 1999. Oh gosh. I, I love that you went from lawyer to therapist. I mean, that in itself is kind of humorous. <laughs> well, it's kind of odd. <laughs> Most people are like, 
You did what? Well, I mean, I think you would need therapy after being an attorney. I mean, (laughs) lawyers have a bad rap. I don't know what kind of law work you were doing. I was a corporate litigator. So carrying the big bags for the big companies, going to court and stuff. I was not lead attorney. Don't think it's that big, but I'll tell you that lawyers are one of the top professions for depression. I'm not surprised. Lawyers. Yeah. I got into, you know how I got into it. I told you the story. Before that, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be a therapist, but I called up a psychiatrist. I thought, let's go straight to the top. I I want to be a psychiatrist, not thinking about, you know, med school and all that that goes into being a psychiatrist. I called the person up, just, you know, picked him out of the the yellow pages and he picked up the phone, which is amazing. And I I told him, you know, I'm off to college and I think I want to be a, a, a psychiatrist. And he said, don't do it. It was the worst decision of my life. I'm like, okay, I guess I won't do that. So you've gotten some good messages from the universe, man. Oh man. So, so it took me a while to come back and try the therapy thing. And I did, I I didn't want to do psychiatry by then. Thank heavens. But I did want to do something where I'm actually in there in the therapy room, making people happy, helping them find the, what changes they need to, to, have the life they want. And so I chose that kind of a degree. There's all sorts of ways you can be a therapist. I chose one where I'd be in the therapy room at a place during my, my training. And it was really useful. I use the stuff that I learned as a lawyer and I learned, use the stuff I learned as a therapist in my coaching practice. I don't do therapy with my coaching clients. And I don't do law either, but I can dig down and find out what's causing, what, what's really at the base of something. I think that goes back to my lawyer training. You know, don't just accept the the surface. Let's go looking. I've realized that everyone has stuff. Some of it is exceptionally awful, but we've all got something. It's crazy, but I just did a post about this on LinkedIn. I was saying like after almost 200 interviews, mental health is a big struggle with the majority of the stories. It's it's underlying in the majority of the stories that I've heard. Well, yeah, I, th- I, I am not at all surprised by that. And, and Rena, you might want to do some tapping when you're interviewing people, or at least right afterwards, just to, to release it. You so taught it me that little finger move that Jennifer is yep. going to use. Now I think maybe I need to start like this. Just do that. Yep. Do the Buddha hands and uh, keep that sort of make your, your brain Teflon. So that all that negative stuff sort of slides off. You can still hear it, but it won't stick. Well, you know, I will say that the more people share with me and the more that they open up to me and the more that they tell me this stuff, I honestly feel like it helps me. Yeah. It helps me be more vulnerable. It helps me open up more Mm -hmm. because I'm like, God, they are so brave. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Oh, absolutely. I just had somebody was on a a call to see if they wanted to work with me one-on-one. I I do group work and I do one-on-one work. And she was telling me about being abused growing up and how that was leading to all sorts of things happening in her life and her business. And my reaction is she said, you know, and everyone thinks I'm so strong, but of course I'm, I'm not because I'm all this stuff's going on. I said, look, if you're surviving this, if you're as successful as you are, you are so strong. And I'm, I'm not blowing smoke. I talked to many people who've gone through so much stuff and if they're still standing, they're strong, but if they're actually able to accomplish something, have a family, start a business, hold down a career, a a job, that is strength. And they need to hear that. They really do. 
Now with all of the stories and people that you've helped, do you think the percentages are correct with the number of women who have been abused or have experienced sexual trauma? Or do you think it's even higher than? Oh, I'm sure it's much higher than is reported. And usually when you see those numbers, they'll say something like, it's probably higher. I'm convinced it is as sad as I am to have to say that, but I think it is. And then there's sometimes people who've been not necessarily raped, but they've been abused in some way and they don't know it. They don't know it until they hear somebody else describing something similar. And they say, that's me too. Oh, I've definitely heard those stories as well. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. This has been amazing. I I love actually that you use where you're at is okay. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that reframe. That's really good. Really, when you can accept that this is where I am, this is okay, that I made all the best choices I could with all the resources and the wisdom and the experiences I had. And this is where I am and it's okay. When you can do that, then you can say, okay, now I'm going to go over there until you can accept it. You can't because you're fighting. Like, oh, this is terrible. I'm a bad person. I should not. And it doesn't help. It actually gets you stuck. People have different paths though. I mean, there's, there's the self-development path that can get you where you want to go without the therapy. The therapy is right for other people. I mean, it's, it's find what works for you. Who is tapping right for? I think tapping is right for everyone, but you got to get the right person to do it. Okay. So there are therapists out there that do tapping. It's become a thing. It's now you can find them. It's still kind of hard, but there's, they're out there. But there are all sorts of coaches using tapping for different things. And, and people have different levels of skill and different approaches and different, they use it in different ways, but there's a lot out there. Mostly what you want to look for is somebody who, who is working on what you want to change, who that's their niche. That's their, they've, they've been doing it for a while. There are people who I learned tapping and I can do anything. Well, you probably don't have the the background yet to be as good as you could be. You know, if you're, if you're doing everything, you're not really doing one thing and really doing it well. I never found somebody who was doing exactly what I did. There were people out there who would work on subconscious stuff, but they were doing it differently. And what I needed was those, those rules, those subconscious success blocks that would get in the way whenever I wanted to move forward and grow my business and, and make more money and be more visible and get to the point where I could hire a team, all that stuff. Have you done all of that now? I, I have not hired a team, although my husband is working for me now. So that counts, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, amazing. I guess maybe I have, but that's the next, that's the next level for me working on my own stuff. And then with my clients, uh, many women, entrepreneurs and other leaders, I've seen that we all have very similar blocks that fall into like three buckets. Mindset, which is basically believing you can and are deserving of being able to do something and having something. Visibility and P, profitability, all things money. So I've worked on all of those for myself and for my clients. And I've turned that into the framework of MVP. Nice. Uh, yeah. And that's, that, those are the small groups of women I work with their MVP club so that we work on all three of those areas and we clear out all sorts of stuff. So that's, that's my stuff. And, and I do have a gift for your listeners. If I, if I yeah. can talk, <laughs> okay. yeah. I always want to bring something to, to a, a podcast like this, because I want to be grateful for people listening. So what I have is a quiz. You can take the quiz and find out where your own subconscious blocks are. Do you have most in the M or in the V or in the P? And then once you take the quiz, you get access to three free tap along videos I made for a common block in each one of those areas. So for example, the visibility one is it's not safe to be seen. And so using that one can be, you know, help bring it down from people who I've even had people who are like 
world renowned. And yet there's an area of it being, being on video, like, no, no, don't record this. That is a problem. So it, it's really interesting to me anyway. So go to, if you, if you want to take the quiz and get those videos, go to unblockresults.com forward slash daddy. Yeah, you're in daddy. I love that. Do you want to ask my dad anything? You know, I don't have a question for him, but I probably should because I miss my dad. I lost him a few years ago and uh, he was a wonderful man. Um, Tell me something that you remember about your dad. He was just the sweetest guy. Everyone loved him. We would go to a Methodist church when I was growing up and, and he was the one who would give all the women hugs. He told me once he felt like that was the only hug some of those women would get all week long and it broke his heart. He just thought everyone should know that they're loved and, and feel that. He adored my mother. Everyone knew that. But these other women, they were wonderful women. And he wanted them to know how wonderful they were. And that oh, brought tears to my eyes to remember him doing that. That's so sweet. I love that. He sounds like a really wonderful man. Um, Tell me about your group coaching. And I'm also like, I know we've gone over here and I'm, this will be my last question, but do people get as vulnerable when they're around others? Yeah, actually, I have had groups that were men and women, and that was a different dynamic. But when I started limiting it to just women and having only five people, only five women plus me in a group, these women get really tight and they're so, so supportive. So everyone's on a hot seat, two hot seats per one of those sections, M, B, and P, so six hot seats. And we go there. We go to what, what's getting in the way. And when somebody's been on a hot seat and they'll finish, you know, there'll be people say, oh yeah, I was crying there. <laughs> or yeah, I went through that five years ago, or I didn't realize I had that, but I know now I do. It's like, you know, that you're not alone when you're doing this in a group and can use no other word. There's love there. Everyone wants you to succeed. So these are women leaders. Many of them are business owners. Some are in the arts uh, and writing and such, and everyone wants you to succeed. And that there's a power there. Oh, Definitely. And Thank everything. you so much for doing so many sessions with my, you know, community and with these women leaders in my circle. I mean, I really appreciate that. And I'm like, how, how can I help you? Like, how can we continue this? This is amazing. Oh, it, it is my pleasure. It, it, that, that is what lights me up when I can help somebody and, and off they go. When I can do some tapping with people, I, I could be exhausted and I'm like, boom, I'm there. Oh, you're so amazing. This has been so, so, so great. Thank you. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Now let's switch it over to grandpa. All right, your episode with Nancy, the lawyer, the therapist. Now she's tapping, which is really, she's trying to reinforce with the physicality of getting someone to really relax and to come forward with whatever their problems are and make them in a way where they're comfortable and relaxed so that they can deal with their problems a lot easier. I think the jury is still out on something like that. If you're feeling good, if you're being encouraged, I think all of, all of these factors play into it. She has experience as being a therapist, but what is fascinating is that she found out that being a lawyer can be very depressing as the lawyer yourself. And also, you're also dealing with people that have all kinds of stuff or problems. When it gets to the lawyers, things don't necessarily get any better. Sometimes they get even far worse, and it becomes even more depressing. And when you're around an environment that's very depressing, 
and very straining and where it's elongated, where all different parts of the law, it's a very disruptive life being uh, in court all the time and fighting back and forth over different issues or with different people. We live in a country where uh, everybody uh, thinks they deserve everything. And, and if they don't get what they want, I'll sue your ass. Or I'll sue you. She found out that still coming from a background where we all want to make some money to be able to live comfortably, that being an English major is not necessarily where you're going to make the highest uh, living. What's recommended? Well, let's be a doctor or let's be a lawyer. That's where you make the most money. And she found out that she really wanted to help people especially those that have been traumatized with sexual abuse or some type of abuse. And lawyers and going through that channel was not necessarily path that she wanted to take. And being a psychologist isn't really necessarily the answer either. But giving therapy and using her law background to be able to get to the bottom or the crux of a problem, I think, is what made her a better therapist and actually showing comfort and confidence that she also got from being a lawyer and being able to physically and mentally trying to aid someone where she truly has her heart in it. That's the passion and the compassion that she has. All of these things are contributing to her success. I don't think it's just one thing. I think it's who she is with all of these factors involved is what's making her successful. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 